I wanted to mention a couple of things, uh, just some reminders of things that we've got going on. Uh, first, I wanted to remind you about our Bible reading plan. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we started a challenge to read through the New Testament, uh, and we're using the Navigator's 5 by 5 by 5 Bible reading plan. And so that's about five minutes a day, uh, and you read five days a week one chapter from the New Testament, five days a week. And by the end of the year, we will have read through all 260 chapters from the New Testament. And so as we started this year, we talked about uh, wanting to continue to grow and the need for us to continue to grow as followers of Jesus. And we know that that happens with the Holy Spirit working in us as we hear from God's Word. And so uh, if you haven't been a part of this, we still have copies of this out on the, the Welcome Center. You can pick up copies of this, join us in this. If you started and got behind, like the Willies, after a week of COVID and then a week without, or several days without power, you can catch back up. Uh, and so that's okay. We've got a couple of chapters to get caught up in Acts today so that we'll be ready for our next week. But uh, it's good, and it's good to do this together. And so join us in our Bible reading plan. I also wanted to mention, last Sunday we looked at, uh, in the sermon, we talked to, I talked about the uh, biblical leadership in the church, the role of an elder uh, in the church, the qualifications of an elder. And I mentioned last week that we are in the process of starting uh, asking for recommendations about potential elders that will be added to the elder board here at Dogwood Church. And so what we're going to do is we're asking you to be praying about that. If you weren't able to attend last Sunday, I would encourage you to, in the next couple of weeks, go back and listen to the message uh, on biblical leadership in the church, the role of the elder and the qualifications of an elder, just to get kind of a biblical framework of what Scripture teaches us. Uh, and we're asking you to be in prayer before you make a recommendation about an individual that you believe would fits that role of being an elder. We want you to be praying about that. We want you to be looking at the passages, and we'll share those with everybody next week. But the way that this process will work is we're asking you to pray now. Next week, we will share with the church uh, a form uh, for you to fill out if there's an individual that you want to recommend. Uh, and you'll have a week to hold on to that, to be praying about that, to be looking back at the scriptures. Uh, and then the following week on the night, I believe it's the 19th, uh, then y'all will, if you have somebody that you want to submit for the elders to consider, you will submit those. Now, that process uh, will take some time because we believe it is extremely important that we go through that carefully and prayerfully. Uh, and so the elders will then take those who've been recommended. We will spend some time praying. Uh, and then individuals who will go through the assessment process from there will have some time where we meet with them, talk with them, let them be praying about what God might be calling them to. Uh, so it's going to take some time for us to install new elders to be added to the elder board, but we believe it's important to start, uh, start that process. So uh, continue to start praying, I mean, continue to be praying right now about that. Uh, and then next week we'll share a little bit more information and a form for you in case you are going to um, recommend someone to be considered for that. All right, 
Well, last year, we spent the majority of the year uh, in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, And after a couple of months break, we had a month off uh, from that sermon series as we walked through Christmas sermon series. Uh, And then for a few weeks, we've been looking at, since the Savior has come then what should our lives look like? What should, things, what, should we, what should we be committed to as followers of Christ? And so now after the couple of months break, we're going to uh, get back into that sermon series from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, today we're going to see a scene that's set around a meal. Uh, and we're going to be reminded in that scene of, one, the compassion that Jesus has had towards us, the compassion that he extended to us, uh, and in addition to that, we're also going to see the invitation that Jesus, Jesus has given us uh, to come into his kingdom. And so my sermon is titled, An Invitation from the Compassionate King. If you will turn with me to Luke 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 24. Now, this is one of those passages. It's a long passage that we're going to be looking at this week. Uh, I've shared this with you before. When we get to these long passages, I still feel like it's important for us to hear the whole text together at the beginning. Because this is God's Word, this is the truest thing you'll hear today. And so I I think it is helpful to hear the whole passage. So even though you're going to hear, uh, and we're going to read through 24 verses together, we'll do that first, and then we'll start kind of working through that to see uh, some things that uh, we can take from the, the passage here. So Luke 14, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. They were watching him closely. There, in front of him, was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you, whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. And the one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the lowest place, in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted." He also said to the one who, he had, who had invited him, When you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brother, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, and blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. 
at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were, now, who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to, tr- to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in the poor, bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, What you have ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servants, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and confess it as true as we do each week. And we ask now that you work in us to help us believe and help us respond accordingly. Holy Spirit, work for those purposes. Help us see Jesus Uh, for who he is, and help our lives be changed because of it. In Christ's name, amen. So as we work through this text, we're going to see three things uh, that are important for us to remember. Uh, First is this, Jesus demonstrates compassion toward us in our need. Jesus demonstrates compassion toward us in our need. And so in the first six verses, we're going to see the scene of him uh, seeing an individual and in the need that they have. And he is moved by, with action to care for the individual. And it's a reminder to us. That's how our Savior has been towards us. He has had compassion toward us in our needs. So verses 1 through 6. One Sabbath he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees. They were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked, in front of, I'm sorry, in response, Jesus asked, the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. They could find no answer to these things. Now we've seen a similar scene as we walked through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we've seen this scene kind of played out multiple times, uh, which means as Jesus is asking the question again, uh, it's an opportunity to see, have the religious leaders changed? Has their hearts changed through this as he's been with them, as he's been teaching them? Have they changed or are they still holding on to uh, what they have been holding on to? And so Jesus in this scene sees the brokenness, sees the, the individual who needs healing and says he has Uh, his body is swollen with fluid. Some of your translations may say uh, an individual there with dropsy is the the name of the condition. Uh, And so he is suffering from great swelling and pain that comes along with that. And Jesus sees that need and he's moved with compassion, right? He, He steps into that. He asks them, 
again, is, would it be wrong, right? Or is it okay for me to heal this man on the Sabbath? Which he knows their hearts. Uh, they've been angry with him before in this scene that he would be willing to heal on the Sabbath because they view that as work and therefore they're breaking the Sabbath laws. And Jesus has repeatedly shown them that the heart of God is for healing and restoration. And so there would be nothing wrong with him restoring an individual who is broken and in need. It would be fully appropriate. And so he asked that question and the religious leaders again They sit silent here. They say nothing. Imagine that. Jesus asking them and ready to make this man whole again. And they are silent. They don't say a word. And Jesus then takes the man and heals him, restores him, and sends him on his way. And so here we see again the difference between the heart of the religious leaders and the heart of God. Right? The, the religious leaders are hardened. The religious leaders are so rigid and unwilling to think differently about their customs that they would look at this scene and think, God wouldn't want this to happen. And then we see Christ there, the Son of God, demonstrating the heart of God for those in need. And he is moved with compassion and restores the man, heals the man, gives him his life back. And so Jesus then in verse 5 and 6 confronts them uh, and says, If this was your son, right? even if this was one of your livestock and they were in danger, which one of you would not immediately take action on the Sabbath day to, to take care of them? And they, of course, can't say a word because they know if it was their son, they would have taken action. If it was one of their livestock, they would have taken action. And so Jesus is confronting that hypocrisy. They should have been glad. They should have been glad to see this man restored and healed. And instead, they're judging Jesus. The text says that they were watching him. Right, And the, the idea is there. They're wondering, is he going to do it again? Is he going to do it in front of one of the leading Pharisees at his house? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath again? And what they've missed is the heart of God. Restoring people to what they should be was the heart of God. That's part of why he sent his son, is to bring restoration, to bring healing on a much greater level than just a physical healing that's here, there should have been no surprise to the religious leaders. First off, there shouldn't have been a surprise because Jesus has demonstrated that his heart is one of compassion all along. We've seen that over and over in the Gospel of Luke. And throughout the rest of the Gospels, we see that that's who our Savior is. He's a compassionate Savior, right? Uh, the text, we're not going to turn to it, we've looked at it before, uh, but the text in Matthew 9, uh, and it, the scene is also referenced in Mark, uh, Jesus getting out of the boat and seeing the crowds. And the text says that they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. 
the, the meaning of that word in the original text is like he was moved to action, right? A, a deep sense of this is not the way it's supposed to be and I'm going to do something about it. That's who our Savior is. And of course, that's who God's been revealing himself as all along to his people. So back in the book of Exodus, when Moses gets to look upon God from the back, right? He hides him in the rock and he says, you cannot look at my face, but you can see me from behind. And the, God declares this about himself. So in Exodus 34, starting in verse 5, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. That's who our God is. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is faithful love to his people. And so Jesus, the Son of God, came into our world and was a constant demonstration of that to God's people. Right? God is a God of compassion for us in our needs. And Jesus looked at us in our need, looking at our sin, looking at our rebellion against God, our constant running from God. And Jesus had compassion. He was moved to action to come and rescue us and to demonstrate again that God is a God of compassion. So Jesus demonstrates compassion toward us in our need. The second thing back in uh, Luke 14 is this. Jesus taught that humility is the way to life. Jesus taught that humility is the way to life. Now this section is going to come from verse 7 through 14. We're not going to read all of those again. We've heard the text at the beginning. We'll reference a few of those things. But Jesus taught that humility is the way to life. Now, at this scene, right, he's been invited to this leading Pharisee's home. And he goes to this dinner and he looks at this scene and sees what's happening there and uses that familiar scene to teach them about the way to life, the real way to life. Now, it's important that we remember that Jesus uses parables uh, to teach a spiritual lesson. Uh, if we forget that, we may read these verses and think that Jesus' concern was our social status and how to give ourselves the best of social statuses when we're in a setting with other people. And that's not the point of this lesson. Uh, Jesus uses this scene around a meal, something that they were all familiar with and something that they were doing, and then takes that and, and applies a spiritual lesson that they needed to hear. And so, in verse 7 through 9, we see that at the dinner, uh, the people there are vying for the best of spots. The custom of the day when you were hosting a banquet or some kind of feast, uh, there would be a reserved spot for the host of the evening that was the best seat. And then, the best seats from there 
were the most distinguished and most important people. They would sit next to the host, and then from there, the kind of next most important people would sit next to them and then on out. And so Jesus, looking at this meal, sees everybody trying to get to the best of spots, wanting to put themselves in the most important spot at the meal. They wanted to get by the host so that when everybody looked around, they'd be like, wow, man, that person's really important because they're next to the host. And Jesus takes that scene and teaches them about humility. And so he says, look, when you're at, this, at a feast and someone has invited you in, think about it this way. If you try to take the most important seat so that you look really important to everybody there, think about how humiliating it would be if the host came to you and said, hey, I need you to move down because there's someone more important than you. Uh, Think about how embarrassing that would be that you've tried to make yourself look so important to the crowd and now you have to go to the end. He's like, that would be humiliating to do that. Can you imagine how you would feel? And again, he's he's not trying to teach them about how to make themselves look good in the social setting. He just wants to paint the picture of this to tell them humility is really the way to life. And so, in verse 10, he tells them, humble yourselves, right? Humble yourselves, and then you will experience exaltation. You'll be raised to a more important position at the table if you uh, are willing to take the lowest spot. And then in verse 11, we read this. For everyone, this is the spiritual lesson that Jesus is getting at. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humility is the way for life. And for us in our spiritual life with God, humility is the way to life. He who humbles himself will be exalted God will do the exalting. And then in verse 12 to 14, he kind of continues on uh, and says, he looks over to the individual who has invited him. Because the other very popular custom of the day, if you were going to host a feast or a banquet, is invite someone who then will repay you with something. They, They will invite you to their really important feast. And so hopefully you can get invited to enough feasts where people really start to look at you and think, that person's really got it going on. They really are important. And he says, look, that's not how you need to live generously. Instead of doing something for someone else, thinking I'm going to do this so that I get this in return, uh, so that I'll look important in return down the road, Do stuff for people who can't pay you back, who can't offer you anything. And so he mentions uh, the people who are poor and maimed and lame and blind in that society. Uh, Those are the people that were really looked down upon. Those are the people that uh, most people thought, man, God must be punishing them. 
because he's letting this happen to them. They must have done something really bad, and therefore God is punishing them for this. And Jesus says, look, you need to stop thinking about how to lift your status. And in verse 14, we read this. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So instead of thinking of how to benefit, how to get a benefit in the future for yourself, he says, don't try to elevate yourself. Quit trying to make yourself look so important. And if you will do stuff for others, there's an eternal reward. If you're just doing it to help those who can't help themselves and who can't help you, there's an eternal reward for this. Now first, it's important we remember This is how Jesus has acted towards us. Jesus, the divine Son of God, who has has existed eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit, humbled himself and came as a man and came as a servant, right? Jesus has demonstrated humility and taking on the form of a servant, and coming, and then being willing to die, even though he had done nothing wrong. He humbled himself so that we could be exalted. And he did that for those of us who have nothing to offer him. It's easy for me sometimes to think, like, yeah, I understand why Jesus would want me on his team. Right? It's easy to kind of puff ourselves up and feel like, Yeah, I'm pretty important. I'm pretty good. I get it. But the reality is we are like the group here that has nothing to offer. We couldn't offer. I mean, yes, we can offer obedience and service to Christ. But as far as our salvation goes, we had nothing to offer Jesus. And Jesus humbled himself and came into our world to rescue us, to save us. And then he's also going to use this to teach on humility, spiritual humility and the need for this. Because you've got this group of individuals who are elevating themselves, thinking about how great they are, trying to show everyone else how great they are. And remember, this isn't just about the social setting. The spiritual message is people's hearts are bent towards self-exaltation. All of us on some level, some maybe more than others, but we want to prove ourselves. We want to show that we're really good. We want to show that we have it together. We want to show that we are important. But there is no life that's found in that. Self-exaltation and making ourselves look good and look important, there is absolutely no life in that. Humility is the way to life. If we would humble ourselves and come to God, admitting our needs, God, I've got nothing to offer you, but I need a Savior. If we are willing to humble ourselves, the Scripture says God is going to exalt you. You will be raised up from that. And made into a son and daughter of God. Right? Humility is the way to life. Not by trying to show that we're good enough. Or not trying to prove that we're important enough. And so in 1 Peter, Peter talks about this. 
1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares for you, or he cares about you. Humble yourselves, admit your need to God, and God will exalt you. You can come to Him with your needs. You can come to Him admitting, I've got nothing. I deserve nothing, God. Would you please rescue me out of that? And He will gladly do that. That's why He sent His Son for us. Humility is the way to life. It's the only way to eternal life. If we go throughout this life holding on to our pride, holding on to our determination of, I'm going to prove that I'm good enough. I'm going to prove that I'm important enough. We will not receive the blessing that God is offering us through Jesus Christ. The third thing we'll see in this text back in Luke 14 is this. Jesus, our compassionate King, has invited us into His kingdom. Jesus, our compassionate King, has invited us into His kingdom. So, still at the scene with the meal, Jesus shares another parable. And it's about uh, the invitation that is being given by God. And so, this comes from verses 15 through 24. Again, we're not going to walk through the whole thing since we read the full passage earlier. Uh, Let's look at verse 15 just to give us the the context of this parable. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now we don't know what his intent was in that. Uh, Maybe it was just that there's this talk of... uh, you know, the, the feasting at the resurrection, this idea of like the resurrection to come and the blessing to come. Uh, and maybe that's what spurred this on. Maybe it was just like, okay, this just got really awkward. Jesus is calling people out. He's asking them questions and they're silent because they're so upset about everything. Uh, but whatever his intent, he makes this statement, which is a true statement. The statement is, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's very true. However, as the parable goes on, what we're going to learn is there are some who are going to miss out. There are some who will not receive that blessing, and they're going to be some of the ones who certainly think they deserve to be at the kingdom and at the feast. And so Jesus tells this parable And in verse 16 through 20, he tells this story about a banquet that has been prepared. He says there's a man who planned a banquet, invited a whole bunch of people. uh, But when the time came, uh, those who were invited started to make excuses. So the custom of the day would be for the person, the host of a banquet, would be to go out and let everybody know, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a feast, and you're invited. I want you to celebrate with us. And so we're going to get everything ready, and then we will let you know when it's time to come. And so he says, you know, the man plans the banquet, 
And then he's going to send out his servant and say, get the people to come. It's time to celebrate. And one after another, the people start making excuses of why they can't come. Now, some of the excuses you may think, well, it's kind of understandable. You know, one guy says, you know, hey, I've just bought a tract of land. I didn't know the party was going to be today. I've just purchased a tract of land, and I need to go check out the land. I need to go look at it and make sure that things are okay with it. And another one says, well, and I just bought these livestock, and I need to take them out and try them out in the field and make sure that I wasn't given some kind of lame livestock. So I need you to excuse me. And another one says, look, I just got married. Like, I'm celebrating on my own. Surely you can excuse me for that. I can't come to this. So whether you think these might be good excuses or not, uh, what they're asking to be excused from the feast for, we're going to learn they're making the wrong choice. To refuse the invitation that has been given is going to be the wrong choice. And so let's look at verse 21 to 24 of the response. Now, in this parable, the man represents God. The people who are making excuses of why they can't come into the banquet, come into the feast that has been prepared, represents the nation of Israel. Because for in large numbers, the nation of Israel is rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. They're rejecting the invitation to receive the blessing that God has prepared for them. And so in verse 21 through 24, we read this. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master told the house servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind and lame. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. So the master hears that those who were invited are making excuses of why they can't come. And so the question for him is, well, do I put the event on hold or do I hold the event but it's empty or do I bring others in? And he says, my house will be full. And so first he says, go out and invite in the people that other people might think, those people don't belong here. Bring them in. I want them a part of this feast. And then we see that even the outsiders are brought in. The servant says, there's still room. And he says, then go out of the city. Go out in the highways. Go out in the hedges. Go out and find the outsiders and tell them, the Master wants you to come. He has a feast prepared for you. Would you come You don't want to miss this. Accept the invitation and come. He says, bring them in. Because my house is going to be full. And so, here in this parable, we're seeing that some who think that they're going to be brought in, 
Surely, they're the, they're the important ones. They're going to enjoy the kingdom of God. Jesus' statement that says, none of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. There's people who are expecting to be in the kingdom of God, and yet they are rejecting the invitation to come and receive the blessing that has been given in Jesus Christ. And God is saying, they won't be part of my kingdom. And we also see that we have a God that throws open the doors to bring in people, to bring in people that others would overlook, to bring in the outsiders, the ones who can do nothing for him. And so when he tells the servant, go out into the highways and hedges, we believe this is a reference to the bringing in of the Gentiles. Uh, that God was not just providing salvation and an invitation to the kingdom just to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is missing out on it by their rejection of Jesus. But he's willing to open it up to outsiders and say, come to the feast, come and enjoy. And that invitation into the kingdom of God comes through Jesus Christ and the work that Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross. Jesus invites us to come to Him. We're the ones that don't have anything to offer. We're the outsiders. We're the outcasts. And yet He looked at us in our need and said, I want them to enjoy the blessing. I want them to come in to my kingdom and enjoy the life that they were supposed to have before sin cursed everything. Come into my kingdom and experience the blessing I have for you. We've looked at this verse before, but what a beautiful reminder of the invitation from our Savior. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you worn out? Are you burned out and beat down? Are you tired of trying to show that you've got enough, that you're good enough, that you've got what it takes, always knowing deep down that you really don't. That's okay. That's why God sent Jesus for us. Because He knew we needed a Savior. He had planned for a Savior before the foundations of the world were ever made because He knew we would need a Savior. And so Jesus comes... And says, I don't want you to be burdened with trying to prove that you're good enough. I don't want you to be burdened by sin and shame anymore. And if you would just come to me, if you would just believe in me, I will give you a rest that you would never have outside of me. Would you just come? I don't want you to carry it any longer. Jesus has invited us into his kingdom. 
And today, as we're reminded of that, we're reminded of our compassionate King and His invitation into the kingdom, first I want us to, I want to ask the question of, for the individual who's here and doesn't know Christ, hasn't trusted Christ, who's maybe sitting and saying, well, I've heard these things about Jesus, I just don't know yet. Uh, I don't know if all of this is real. The invitation that's being given to you from God is, would you come to Jesus? Would you believe in Jesus? Our compassionate King has invited us into His kingdom. And if you would just come and believe in Him, admit to God, I need a Savior. I can't do this anymore. I realize I don't have what it takes and I need someone to rescue me. God's Word says that you will be saved if you would just believe in Jesus. And so, accept that invitation to come to Jesus and receive salvation. And if you want to know more about that, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Christ, to trust in Jesus for salvation, please schedule a time to talk with me, one of our ministry leaders or elders. We would love to share with you the good news of the gospel and the sacrifice that Jesus made so that you could be saved. And to the church, I would encourage us to... Always live in awe of the fact that Jesus has invited us into his kingdom. We, we truly had nothing to offer him on our own. And yet, Jesus had compassion on us. He was moved by compassion to do everything that was necessary to save us and to bring us in. And so let's live in awe of the fact that we've been brought into the kingdom. Let's continue to walk in humility. uh, And let's be a generous people to others so that we can demonstrate the love and compassion that God has. Now let's share the good news of the gospel and then invite others. Come in. There's room for you too. All you have to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be in the kingdom Jesus, our compassionate King, is worthy of these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and care. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. Jesus, thank you for having compassion on us and being moved to bring us out of the pit of despair that we were in. Help us be amazed. Help us live lives changed because of the sacrifice that was made. God, for any who are here that aren't sure where they stand with Jesus Christ, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be working now to open their eyes and open their hearts to believe and be saved. Keep using this church. Shape us into the people you want us to be, God, for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to get ready for our time of communion. If you have a child in the nursery, uh, we would ask that you pick them up uh, and bring them back in. Uh, We want everybody to be able to be a part of that. If you did not pick up the communion elements, they're on the back table. You can pick those up uh, for our time of communion in a moment.
We're going to have some instrumental music. If you've been here, this has been kind of our, our normal thing. This is a way just to kind of settle our hearts and minds, uh, remind ourselves of what it is that we are doing and why we are taking these communion elements because they're to remind us of our Savior. They're to remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so I'm going to have Kathy play uh, for a few moments. And during this time, it's a time of reflection for us, kind of to meditate on the reality that Jesus came and died for our sins. It's important as we take communion together that we do that remembering. Jesus' blood had to be shed because of my sins. Because I'm a sinner and needed a Savior. Uh, And so in that, as we remember, while Kathy plays, thank God for sending Jesus for you. Uh, Thank Jesus for being willing to make the sacrifice so that you could be saved. Now would be a time, if you've been walking in in a pattern of sin... Now would be a time to confess that to God. God, I've I've been living out of your will. Forgive me and remind me through this communion that it's because of Jesus that I can be forgiven, that I am forgiven. And so as Kathy plays, let's pray uh, and think about these things and then we'll take the elements together here in a few minutes. of our Savior Jesus. He's had compassion on us. He humbled Himself in order to elevate us and lift us up. He brought us in, even though we were outsiders and had nothing to offer Him. It was out of His love for us that Jesus was nailed to a cross and died taking the punishment for our sins so that we could be made whole, so that we could be forgiven and made right with God and brought into the family of God. And so as we take these communion elements, we're doing so remembering that sacrifice of Jesus. So reading from Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29, this was the night that Jesus was betrayed He took the Passover meal with his disciples and instituted communion or Lord's Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So taking your bread. 
This is the body of Christ that is given for you. And taking your cup. This is the blood of Christ that is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As I pray, and the worship team is going to come back and lead us in our closing song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice that was made. Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to the truth and giving us faith. God, keep working in us. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.